Joining me tonight on A Conversation with Brian is Ken Williams, a nationally recognized speaker, trainer, coach, and consultant in school culture and leadership. Ken has been a practitioner going on 30 years, and he has used the PLC at Work model in two different schools to ensure learning for all students. Through his company, Unfold the Soul, Ken helps schools and districts combine the why and the how of the work through heart, humor, and hammer. Ken is the author and or co-author of numerous books, including the 2015 bestseller, Starting a Movement with Tom Herrick, Beyond Conversations About Race, which was released in 2021, and his newest solo author and published book, Ruthless Equity, Disrupt the Status Quo and Ensure Learning for All Students. Ken also has a podcast, the Unfold the Soul, Bless His Heart Leadership Podcast. And apparently, Ken is an amazing bowler. Who knew? So without further ado, let's welcome one of the hardest, most tenacious, resourceful, influential, and as well as likable people in our field. Ken, welcome to A Conversation with Brian. Mr. Williams. <laughs> oh man, you you did some uh, last minute planning there. I like that. Hey, yeah. that's pretty cool. Thank you. Hey, I, I appreciate you taking some time with me today. I, I want to show you something. I know I took some pictures this weekend and I uh, kind of <laughs> just uh, dove in. I love weekend. that, man. Oh, man. I'm but, I several angles of that. Yeah, you know, it, it's amazing. Uh, I just kept reading and just kept writing just notes to myself because I just said, I got it. I got to get this in. There is no way that I can get this in in 45 minutes. This is this is a, a, a 10 session masterclass on your book. This is what it should be. That makes me feel good. You know, I, I, I really um, you know how you you um, have done some work or you've done something before, but you can't articulate it. And then somebody comes along and it's like and they talk about it and they talk about the work and it just becomes clear. It's like, you know, my glasses were fogged up and now it's clear. That's how your book is. That's how your book is. And so I, 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 that, I, I do, um, you know, highly recommend it for for any educator and educator means bus driver, cafeteria worker, office staff, teachers, paraprofessionals, central off, office principals, anybody, because it really does, as you say, knock the theory, the rhetoric, the ambiguity out of equity. I appreciate that, man. My a friend of ours, uh, Jim, who's an, he's a full-time artist, but he works as a paraprofessional at a local school. He texted me about two hours ago and he said, you know, would this book be meaningful? He, he's joking around like minions yeah. like me. And I was like, Jim, <laughs> anybody who touch, touches a child of an educator is an educator in my book. Anybody who touches the life of a child on camp is an educator in my book. So yeah, yeah. It'll, it'll speak to you. So yeah. I appreciate that, man. So Ken, what we're going to do this next 45 minutes, um, I truly am going to dig into your book and I'm going to pick it up sometimes and read from it. And what I'm going to ask you to do is, you know, talk to some of the phrases, some of the Ken-isms mm -hmm. as I call them in your book. But I'd like to um, start by reading uh, a bit of what Anthony Muhammad said in his foreword, and I want you to respond to it. Okay. Um, 
Don't look at this book as an entertaining and enlightening analysis of inequity, but as a professional playbook that is long overdue and that awards you a chance to shape history, not become a victim of it. Equity can never become reality in schools if we look at it through the lens of charity instead of professional obligation. That's pretty powerful. Speak to that. Listen, it's, uh, you know, some of that, some of this goes back to, you know, identify complacency as the enemy of equity. Yeah. And I know what many of us think complacency looks like, you know, like not really caring fully or not being urgent, but complacency has so many layers and it comes in so many forms. I just heard a new one today that I'm kicking myself that I didn't have this in the book. One of the, one of the most subtle and powerful forms of complacency is working with kids who come from impact, whatever impact that is, yeah, or whatever impact we project onto them. Right. And what Anthony mentioned, and what I talk about in several different ways is the difference between advocacy and charity, right? When people yeah. talk about, yeah. you know, white savior complex, I was like, we got a lot of people of color who exactly who, yeah. who inflict the same kind of stuff on. So here's how I explain the difference between that, right? So if, if we decide, and these are my AirPods, if we decide that every third grader has got to know how to make these AirPods to have success in fourth grade, on yep. the assessment, so forth and so we've decided it's clear this is an essential learning outcome and you're working with a student who's could be significantly behind charity is when you set both eyes on that child give it everything you got love on that kid and just hope he just grows some right right advocacy is when you got one eye on the child and the other eye on where he has to go. Doesn't mean he's gonna reach it with the urgency right away, but this will help pace you. See, when you keep an eye on where students have to go based on agreed upon essential outcomes, that's equity work. When you just hope they grow some, and I'm gonna give it the best we got, and I'm coming out here from the suburbs and working these old city schools here, that's charity work. And so so this is my my question, and I, I you know, our, one of the things that, that you do in the book is you give props to educators right up front, but then you say, I'm not going to do it throughout the book, <laughs> right? Because, you know, it's okay. We know that we do hard work and that we're most of us are here for the right reasons. But when we hope that a kid reaches that standard, my question is, we wouldn't do that for our own kid, like that, that teacher. They, they're not hoping for their own kids, right? No, not at all. And sometimes I think we, and people don't like when, we, when I say things like this, but, you know, I call it educator martyrdom. Like we, we know we're underpaid. We know the burden is big. It's like giving yourself a nickname. Right, that's the worst thing you can do, especially in sports. You give yourself a nickname and then don't live up to it, or something. like people will override you. You let other people give you a nickname. We are great at highlighting how we're persecuted and put upon and trying so hard and not getting the results. And what happens is that swirl out there, we start getting credit for the effort. Yeah. Right. You're working so hard. You're doing all you can. That's a form of complacency. And you, if you remind me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna break that one down. Yeah. It's a form of complacency. Now, do educators work hard? Yes. 
nothing in that book is asking educators to work harder. I would never ask educators to work harder. In fact, I emphasize that I want you to work your contracted duty day and have a life afterwards. I just want us to maximize the time we have together, but we got to be focused on results, not activity. You know, I bought this water bottle. It's got my alma mater on it and I like it. But if it had a hole in the bottom, just a, just a, just a microscopic hole that would just started dripping, you know, just find us a small puddle, you know, throughout the day on my desk. And I called the company and say, hey, uh, S&M, whatever company that is, there's a problem with my water bottle. Well, the, the people work so hard. The people who, who stamp the metal out work so hard. And, and the paint comes from an area. It's a tough neighborhood. But they, what is that? There's a hole in the bottom. Yeah. There's yeah. a hole in the bottom. So I want us to get, I want us to acknowledge that we're working hard, but get results. But I don't think it's, I don't think that's done out of malice. No. I think it's done deep down. And I'm not a psychologist or anything. I'm just a, I just notice stuff. I think, I think we have a crisis of confidence. I, I think we have a crisis of confidence. Nobody gets into education to want to fail kids. You know, Mike Maddles talks about that. Ricky used to tell us that all the time. Yeah. And yet we find ourselves saying things. So here's that, here's that related, another form of subtle complacency. I'm on the phone earlier having a call with a principal for the first time. And she's thinking about contracting me to work with her schools. Sure. And I usually ask, you know, tell me about your school. And she's like, I love the teachers. The teachers are great. You know, they really love the kids. But lately, you know, the real issue is behaviors. Behaviors. And you know what? You can go to nine and a half out of 10 educators and say, we're dealing with behaviors. And everybody knows what it means. Everybody, everybody knows what it feels. But what I do is I kind of go, I go beneath the surface see, because I identify a lack of belonging as a missing element of equity. And I give credit to Cobb and Crown Apple who wrote Dignity Through a Culture of Equity. You're answering all my questions. I'm sorry, brother. <laughs> but I, I got to tell you this one, man. That's, why, I'm, that's a good thing. I'm glad. Just keep going. You do the behaviors thing, right? So she was like, behave, they're dealing with behaviors. And here's what I said between that phone call and our time together. And I sat and I just wrote some notes. And I said, that's a belonging thing because behaviors, whenever we hear that euphemism, it's yeah. never specific. It's never specific. Right. The behaviors are never identified. It's never said, it can, it can be frustrating, but there's, it's always hopeless. Yeah. Almost like, and so in hood parlance, uh, the root word of behaviors is element. Where I'm from, it's like we got an element moving in here, and you know, and right before she told me about behavior, she said our demographic has changed, and I know what's coming oh, next. When that... and what happens is this, brother. What happens is this. Once you identify behaviors, you're talking about an element. And when you're talking about an element, you're talking about them. Yeah. As soon as you identify them, they are not us, and it's as other. soon as they're not us, they do not belong. Yeah. And if they do not belong, it is impossible to achieve equity. Yeah. It's impossible. Talks, you know, Yvette Jackson talks about in her great book, Pedagogy of Confidence, she talks about that. She talks about us otherizing people are othering. That's right. That's right. That's right. And, and, and once we do that, um, you've made a disconnect. So we, we don't, in, instead of, and I, and I heard your podcast with, um, with, with Tom um, Shimmer, and he said, and you said, we focus so much on differences. We got to start with, how are we alike? How are we like and what do we want? Yeah. Someone contacted me this morning and said, we want to order your book because we got we gotta we gotta move forward with our anti-racist policy next month. 
Yeah. And I was like, man, Andrew, you know, schedule a time to talk with me. Yes. I, I, I love I, it. Because I, I want to tell you that yeah. no one aspires to an anti-racism. What is, if, if we achieve anti-racism, what will it bring us? What is, there's nothing aspirational about most equity initiatives. And that's half the problem that wears you down. It grinds you into a nub. And that's what happens with equity initiatives all over the place. And so teachers, we, we subconsciously, nobody says behaviors and thinks them and they can't learn, but that's what it manifests into. And I tell adults all the time when I train on this stuff, when's the last time, tell me about the last time you walked into a room and knew you didn't belong. And I'm not talking about necessarily race or culture, right. just right. that feeling. You feel it, right? Hell, I felt it at a Foot Locker recently. There's like this small store, yeah. there's one employee, she's on a ladder putting boxes, she sees me walk in, puts her back to me, doesn't talk to me for five minutes, not even, you know, and I've been to places, like yesterday as I'm buying stuff at BJ's, and the, I needed a customer service person, but she saw that someone was waiting longer than me. And she said, she's been waiting a little longer. I'm gonna go take care of her and I'll be right back. And even while she was over there, she kind of looked over and said, I'll be right there. That just takes your blood pressure down. It makes yeah. you feel seen, valued yeah. and heard. And unfortunately we struggle in that area. Yeah. You know, you, you write in the um, what I know section, you write, the pursuit of equity for every student is going to expose you. It's going to tap into your fears and your doubts. Yep. Your pursuit will simultaneously reveal your greatest strengths and shortcomings as an educator. That's right. What do you mean by this? Listen, let's go back to the behaviors example. You're basically saying there's an element here. There's a, there's a demographic of kids. I don't know what to do with them. I don't know how to start with them. I don't it's a that that to me underscores a crisis of confidence and to me when i hear that you're exposed right now i already know while some kids may feel like they belong there you got kids that don't feel like they belong there and and belonging is where everything begins there is a and i think i write this in the book as well there is a going for itness to equity work because equity talks about all anything that underscores all you know as a principal, we go on field trips. The goal was to bring back 100% of our kids from the zoo, right? 100%. It wasn't 90%. Can't right? leave. 90%, I could have relaxed a little bit and enjoyed the damn elephant cage. But I couldn't enjoy the elephant because I keep looking around and look at my Marine runners. I got the kindergartners over here. I'm driving my own car behind the school bus because, you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm constantly, I see the teachers all day long doing the head counts. If it was 90%, we, you know, we might have enjoyed field trips more as adults. But it's a hundred percent, yeah. And there is a going fortness to it, right? We know. Let's just say in a normal situation, like eighty percent of the kids get it the first time we teach it, right? The second time you get another ten percent, and then there's that other ten. There's that other ten, yeah. And that's where we have to expose ourselves. We have to uh, be willing to uh, submit to someone else's expertise. We have to be, say things like, "I don't know." You know, another thing that that word behaviors does, it doesn't put any onus on us as an adult, as adults, nothing. Yeah, it helps us look and, up. And I, and I don't mean that from a blame shifting sense. I mean that from a power sense, because once you decide you are powerless in a situation, and that's what behaviors tells me, you're powerless, you're dead, you're done, you're done. I've worked in environments. Look, I'm from the hood, man. And my first principalship was in a 
small working class community and it was all white. And they were a lot different than folks I grew up with in New York. Right. And all of my hood credibility, all the stuff I had in my back pocket, all my experience, it just didn't translate there. So I had to humble myself and get out and get to know my families, get to know my community, get to know my kids. I mean, it started with, hi, what's your name? Tell well, me about there some things you like. It's again, so you're finding common ground. You're finding things that got to find common ground. Yeah. Yeah. Got to find common ground. You know, we strip the stuff, you know, we all, we all bleed, you know, we all hurt. We all want our families to be healthy. We want our neighborhoods to be nice. We want our home values to increase that. That's the stuff I go to. I get away from, you know, political labels and I try to get down to that man right there. He wants the same thing for his family that I want for my family. Yeah. And we want kids to have great opportunities in this country where while not perfect, education is the great equalizer and can allow you to have more of a hand in shaping your destiny. You, you, we've got to be able to humble ourselves and get to know. Last thing I'll say, and then I'll shut up for a minute. You're good. I did some work in Orlando years ago and this principal was awesome. And I flew down there and her school was like 100% Latino, Latina. Mm -hmm. And like 75% of them, like Spanish was their first language. Right. I was like a fish out of water. Yeah. admittedly and so for the days i was there i was literally starting from square one right and then what resources can i marshal to help me uh serve this principle in a way that will move the mission forward and so whether it's behavior whether it's differences in demographics whether it's differences uh cultural differences once we decide consciously or subconsciously that there's no hope, we are dead in the water, we are powerless, and we do that way too often. And a word like behaviors is one of them. Nobody describes their kids that way, yeah. right? You, you, you can describe your kids as obstinate or you know don't have great social skills, right. like you get specific, but behaviors basically means we got an element that I don't know how to deal with, we don't know how to deal with, and we'll work hard, get praise for that, and let the chips fall where they may. Yeah. You know, um, you said a couple of things and, and you're really good at this. You, you won't you won't toot your own horn. But one of the things I, I found that that really gives you credibility is your transparency. You, you are very transparent when you don't know something. You're so willing to ask or say, I'm not really effective in this area. You know, educators or, or you know, consultant friend, you, you reach out to so many different people. And I think with teachers, you know, how do we get teachers to that point of transparency? Because we all can't be great at everything. But teachers have grown up in a system where they've many of them, I shouldn't say all, but many have had to check a box. They've played school so much that, yeah. that transparency is not natural to them. Yeah. So so here's I, I think about leadership at this point. To me, that that begins with, of course, you know, having a culture where we don't have consequential competition. Yeah, I've got to be careful with that. Nothing wrong with inconsequential competition, right? I, I, I'm I'm as competitive as the next guy, and I hate participation trophies. But you don't want any kind of competition where, for me to win, you have to lose. For me to win, I got to keep my good strategies away from you, so I get my shine. Yeah, that's one. And two, we need leaders and leadership teams and guiding coalitions to really engage in all means all. Like really, like really, not all means all except for Melvin and them kids over there. Because what happens is 
when you really engage in a supportive culture of all really means all, then there's going to come a point where the stuff in my pockets isn't working for this kid. Yeah. And we're not going to settle for that. Right. And that's when, that's when we are forced to look around, ask. And sometimes, you know, you got to hold folks' hands and model that with them. Yeah. But when we say all means all, but then we come to the table and still acquiesce to excuses that are being made and well this kid well you know that and well you know that family in that neighborhood and you know these kids as soon as we acquiesce we're dead in the water yeah and that doesn't mean we have all the answers we don't i remember as a principal saying to my folks look i will move hell and high water to get you what you need to do this work i can't do excuses yeah. i can't do excuses and as long as you keep me out of the newspaper we can try anything i don't care what you try we can try anything to break through with those kids that kid yeah. right there, that kid right there. But like you've done in the past, place that name with that face. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta really mean all means all. You can't mean all means all. And that means I'm gonna work, I'm gonna try my ass off. And wherever it lands, we're gonna be satisfied with that. Yeah. You can't do that. Yeah. I, I um I totally agree. And I, you know, in our schools, and, and you know this, in our schools, we, we really said that it, it wasn't about what was out there. Um, and, and you do the same thing. You said we use that as context but it's about what's in what's looking in this mirror and what can we do collectively to to um, ensure that every single kid gets there. It's part of the title, man. That that that's that's part of the inspiration for the title. Yeah. So so the other thing is, and I, I think this is part of um, this rhetoric or um, just terms in our profession, mm-hmm. ruthless equity, the term equity is is being bounced around so much and and you know just kind of like the the term plc where they we say terms travel very easily but the underlying meaning of those terms and the the practices that should be aligned to those terms don't ever or hardly ever take root and so you know so how do we make sure that people well i want to make sure and you're making the rounds yeah make sure that we're clear on what this ruthless equity is because this is not the equity that most of these people are talking oh, no. about. No, 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 no. That the equity what most people talk about is rhetoric, hot buttons, everything is race and culture. Yeah. <laughs> I work with schools. Yeah. I work with a I work with a school of all white kids in a small community. And they had almost like a caste system. Yeah. Like almost like you know what I mean? Like a yeah like a, a, a socioeconomic caste system going on. But they didn't but they wanted to blow right past equity. We're like, let's just talk about this. I'm like, no, no, you got equity. Become this word that people think is color. The kids over that little bridge over there that you say, and yeah. everybody kind of has disdain for it. That's an equity. You got social justice issues at your white school. Yeah. And so I was in New York last week visiting my dad and visited my sister's school. And I visited a couple of schools. And I met one principal and gave her my book. And she says, oh, that's, this is so timely because our equity council is meeting in a couple of days. And here's what I'm going to do. She said, I've got seven posters around the room with seven definitions of equity. We're going to start by walking to, the, walking to the poster that resonates most with each of us. And I took a deep breath and I just said, I just wanted to think about this, right? Because it was dismissal time. Yeah. I said, if a term has seven definitions... <laughs> Not examples of definitions. seven yeah. definitions. Wow. Don't you think that yeah. might be inherently problematic? 
but we, we we're so we're, we're numb to it at this point and so so i appreciate your platform i appreciate tom and everyone that i'm able to get on honest to god I'm on a mission to get this book in the hands of every educator, period. And it's not about money. It's, I'm doing all right. This is not about money. It's not about ego. It's just the work is too important and there's way too much clickbait rhetoric, rhetoric out there. And yep. we're doing things out of order, you know, like, you know, the order of operations. Yeah. I got somebody tried to push back the other night. I said, well, do you address issues of race and this and that and this? And I said, no, I, I help you lay the foundation for that yeah. you see because with all the new terms we keep making up you know micro, you know microaggressions and you know there's new terms all the time and right. focus on bias and those things are real don't get me wrong they're real but when you walk into a room and i'm gonna keep it real with you not that i don't do anything else like our, our profession is probably 80 percent white women right and you walk into the room it's like you you got bias and microaggressions and you got bias that you need to deal with i know if you walk in a room and i'm there i'm doing this yeah, it puts people on defensive, makes them feel guilt. Yeah, um, walk around with like uh, on on eggshells, afraid to take chances. Right. So I'm making the case for if you if you lay a foundation of equitable practice, and yeah. then from that practice you notice issues of bias or issues of whatever it is expectations. Sure, it's going to be much more powerful when it's. It, it grows from equitable practice and it's based on evidence. So let's engage in equitable practice. I still remember my first assistant principal, Jody Silvio, came in to observe me. And, you know, I thought I was killing it that day. But she had in her mind, and I didn't know this, she came in and was going to watch one thing. Like when I practice bowling, it's like I focus on one thing, right. one thing. She decided that day, unbeknownst to me, to just do tick marks regarding like which side of the room I asked input from students and we sat down and you know she talked about the lesson overall and it was great but then she brought out that data and I don't know what it is because I you know heterogeneously grouped right you know I'm not I'm not, I'm not doing old school where certain kids they're <laughs> yeah. mixed up but I'm gravitating toward that right I'm right-handed but most of my questions are coming I'm asking the right side of the room. You didn't know that, right? I didn't know that. Yeah. And if she walks in and says, I think you have, you're biased toward the right side of the room without any evidence, I'm probably going to be like this. Yeah. But when she presented that data, all I could do is smile and say, I'm going to do better. I'm going to be more conscious yeah. of it. So I'm just asking that our discussions around race, culture, I want them to be authentic and genuine. Yeah. Not because it's being talked about out there. Like if... If you don't have issues with uh, bias at your school, then then you don't need to talk about it. But if you've got certain, you know, quote unquote groups of right. kids who are not flourishing or flourishing, let's get with that. But let's do it in the context of equitable practice. Lay the foundation first. You know, when we talk about just basic, the thing I like about your book or the thing I love about your book is that it's it's so simple. Thank you, brother. No, really. So, so think about this. You talk about, you know, how can we raise student engagement? And you you talk about a, a simple practice that your wife, Nicole, does. Tell us about that. Just I mean, that's that's equity. Talk about Bruh, that. I, and listen, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I didn't know about this now because I don't want to sound like I don't ever want to sound like that guy who just. No, you know, but it's in your like book, a finished you're, product. You're, you're, As a principal, I was out. I was out at the buses every day. Yep. 
for, as a teacher, for the most part, I greeted students every day when they walked in, but I wasn't aware of this data. Nicole has done it. She didn't know anything about this. Yeah. So I have on a slide, can I interest any teachers in um, a 20% increase in engagement, a 9% decrease in disruptive behaviors, and a potential additional hour of academic engagement during the school day? And everybody's like, hell yeah. It's like, well, how do we do it? Positive greetings at the door. Calling kids by name, yep. greeting them. If Brian was had some challenges yesterday, you know, give him a little whisper. Looking forward to you doing a better job of, you know, control your impulse today, whatever it is, yep. every day. Now, as soon as I say that, people get defensive typically. I do that every day. But I can remember contentious conversations I have with some teachers who felt like it was an infringement on their personal freedom or the, the one chance they get to commiserate with their teammate at the door, yeah. all those things. I get the, you know, I, I work with middle schools and high schools. And they're like, well, I got 270 kids to, to see in a day. And it's like, yeah, it's a lot of kids, but, and you know what? I fly a lot and Delta is dealing with thousands of passengers a day. Yeah. Thousands. Yeah. Yet. And I'm an outgoing introvert. Like I don't do small talk and stuff like that after work. Yep. But when I board that flight, I don't need a whole conversation. I don't need, right. oh, you didn't, you didn't bring me lunch or where'd you get that? I want to hear welcome on board. Yeah. I want to hear it. I want to hear, I want to, and, it, and all it is, is a moment of feeling seen. That's <laughs> it. Yeah. And, and when it doesn't happen, and it's rare that it doesn't happen, when they're either commiserating or bent over, like pulling a drawer out of something and people pass, I'm, it annoys me. Conversely, right? Because we don't, it's got to be aspirational. Conversely, I tell educators all the time, next time you go to a store and person's wearing a name tag, just uh, at the register, just say, thanks, Brian. You just see people just kind of go, hmm. let me, let me, let me double bag them pork rinds you just bought. Let me yeah. double bag them, baby. It's so simple. I think about, I think about when I do professional development, the 10, 15 minutes I take at the beginning, we all take, right? You do the same work, building rapport, showing yeah. pictures of your family, talking about your background, blah, 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 all those things. I, I can't even imagine what it would be like if I just launched into slides right away and never connected with my audience. Yeah. And then I ask adults to consider, there are kids who walk into our classrooms 180 days a year and if and don't feel seen and don't feel seen yeah think about i mean th and, th and think about you know the, the 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 kid who doesn't feel seen and and then we start to look at them as the problem absolutely and then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy all day they're gonna make and your dreams come true if i don't feel seen Oh, you're going to see me. I'm going to show me. you. Yes. You're going to see me. I'm going to show oh, you. Yeah. Hey, boy, in your book, you have a section, boiled down to its simplest form. This book is written to help you understand three things. Three things. The factors that accelerate equity in your classroom. Yep. The factors that impede equity in your classroom. We've talked a little bit about that. And the habits of mind and practices you must leverage to ensure equity for all students. So let's talk about some of the practices. I mean, we've, we've talked a little bit about some of the things that you can do to help 
kids belong, you know, greeting them at the door, yeah. making sure you know the kids' names. I think this is probably the 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 least understood and most <laughs> powerful thing because I have to be honest, when my my former school, we had 36 birth countries, 45 languages or 43 languages. And so you have a range of names. We can, and kids want to be seen. Yes, they do. And so if we have a, a kid who has a difficult name to pronounce, you as a teacher need to practice that name. Don't give them a nickname because you're telling that kid they are not as that important. Yeah. That's they right. know that. It's an effort. It's yeah. It's yeah. it's it's huge. I, I can't remember where I saw this, so you know, but I I thought I once read that the two words people love to hear most are their name and thank you. Yeah. Pause for one second. Pause. Don't you pause. Just... Yeah, I'll pause it. Yeah, you can just edit. Hold on. Sorry, man, I didn't have my sweat cloth nearby. Oh, you're good. All right. Yeah, that's that's uh, it it it's huge, man. Yeah. And uh, the whole I I appreciate that. I don't know if that's I've ever heard of a better compliment, but that's it's so simple. But I find that's what I've been doing over the years um, since you know being exposed to professional learning communities. Yeah, is just I guess in my frustration and my ever-ending quest to get schools to see it is to just keep simplifying and simplifying yeah. and stripping away and stripping away and stripping away. It's uh, I think so for that, you this, this is that attempt. Yeah, I think for you and I who who are just like the PLC at work groupies for for Rick and, and Becky and Bob, mm -hmm. we just know that this is this is not new. Well, this equity thing. You know, we've been doing this forever since we, you know, you know, since I learned about the POC process. It's another that's another piece of why I wrote the book. And I think there's a section that I call your grumpy uncle is back. And that's what I talk about. This is nothing new. I'm glad it's on the tip of everybody's tongue. But equity is is not new. And so one other aspect of equity, because I want to make it tangible and, you know, repeatable and practical is yeah. that equity requires an essential. Yeah. It, I use the, you know, those images where the kids are trying to watch the game and one mm -hmm. can't see over the fence. But, you know, I use those in the book yeah. and, I, and I use them in my work. And I ask, what is the essential outcome in this picture? We want every kid to see the game. There's another one where, you know, kids want to ride a bike and one kid's not ambulatory in a wheelchair, but they find a way to fashion some bike. What's yeah. the outcome? We want kids to ride the bike. Here's a third one. What's the outcome here? We want every kid to be able to pick apples from the tree. Yeah. Equity requires an essential outcome there's got to be a place where all kids have to go and then what we do to get them there with urgency and a culture of belonging and inclusion that's equity yeah and we that's that's some of what we run from we run from see we we, we like the idea that every kid's got to learn this and some kids you know we like we like we like the sound of we want every kid to walk out knowing how to make this remote in seventh grade but when we really come down to it when we when we get with people like you and me, and I was talking about Heather Frazil the other night. Yeah. I was talking about Heather Frazil. Awesome. I said, look, all means all is the biggest cliche in education. But I sat on a on the dais with Heather Frazil one time and didn't know her well yeah. and heard her describe all means all. And I got a little bit scared because <laughs> just her, 
she didn't add any words to it. It's no. just, yeah. there was a look in her eye and a conviction in her voice yeah. on that stage with all of her class and grace that I said to myself, oh, she, she means that. Yeah. So when we decide on what's essential and then we treat it like it's essential, that's what scares us. Because mm -hmm. we, because, because, you know, behind the, you know, behind the curtain, we're saying, I mean, does he really mean all of them? Like even Brian and Ken and Melvin, yeah, yeah, right, and Lucinda and Melvin. That's the key. Equity requires an essential. You can't have it without it. And, you can't and have it without an essential. It, and it, it requires an essential, and it re requires the other word, ensure. Ensure Ooh. that they're going to master that essential. Right? I think ensure tried to run out of this book. I've used it so many times in there. Yeah. Ensure, 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 ensure. So let's let's, and, and let's that's mission driven work. Yeah, let's, let's dive into this. It went all means all because in your book you say all means all doesn't mean all. Right. So can you kind of talk about that because I think people feel overwhelmed. They're like, yeah. how can they master all? And then they're they're not hearing. They're not. I don't think they're getting that it's not all of the curriculum. Okay, this may not result in book sales, but I do. I think they. I think deep down they do get it. They just don't want to go after it. Listen, standing before a great level of kids and putting forth this notion that every one of them's got to walk out knowing X, Y, and Z. I believe, I believe it, it taps into the same feelings that people have when they have a business idea, but they're scared to go for it. Yeah. When they want to maybe ask for a raise, but they're afraid to ask for it when they're afraid to, you know, go apply for this new job or put themselves out there because that's what it does. That's see, that's what I think deep a layer or two beneath it. And I'm not a therapist or anything like that. I got a therapist, yeah. but I'm not a therapist. See, that's what I really think it is. I, I, there's no way people like educators as educated as they are as brilliant and smart and innovative as they are don't understand that when we say this is essential it means every damn body that means we got to do what we got to do to get every body there and unless you have leadership that in a supportive way is willing to uphold that mission you're always going to acquiesce to excuses you're always going to acquiesce to excuses and yeah. i think about what you guys did why is the name of your school leaving my head right now? In Mason Crest? Yes. Yeah. Where, you know, when I hear, you know, words like behaviors or uh, they're low, that's another, you know, that's a euphemism on the other side. That's the academic yeah. euphemism, the behavior, you know, and then I remember talking with you and, and watching you guys take these plans and, and ask the question, what would it look like if a kid grew a year and a half in a year's time? That blew my mind. I was like, that's awesome. What would it look like? You can't teach everything. Yeah. See, here's how I know that, you know, a couple of layers beneath, it's really a crisis of confidence because essentials takes the pressure off you. You got all this curriculum in this guide and we're saying, no, 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 no. Identify what's most essential. Those are the ones you have to ensure. Everything else is gravy, right? Everything else is gravy. It is, a, it is less is more. The pandemic forces into less is more. And still coming out of the pandemic, it's the same issues. Like even them, but all of them, but everybody, but everybody didn't fit in the same box. One size didn't fit all. We, we go through, we, we sell ourselves all those forms of complacency. And what I loved about what you said about, you said, I remember you saying, does every kid grow a year and a half in a year's time? No. Do some, 
Yes. But do they all end up further along than they would have ever done without that kind of urgency? 100%. I was done. And the thing with that, Ken, is that it wasn't a year. It wasn't just a year and a half. We looked at the kid and we said, OK, where are they? And, you know, what can, what do we need to do to get them to grow enough to be on grade level by the end of the year? That, that's equity. And, and if they're not, then then we're going to project out and say, OK, or we're going to make the make the instruction more intense and say, OK, quarter by quarter. What do we need to do? to assess and okay, are they, are they here now? All right. Are we on track? And, and again, did we make it every year with every kid? No, but, but, but it, within two years, usually we got them. We got them there. Two to three years. We got them there. Our, our, our friend and colleague, Mike Maddows talks about, was it calls it parallel play? Yeah. Where, you know, the kids just kind of grow like that. Yeah. That's because there's no equitable practice involved. There's no essentials involved. Yeah. I, I tell people when you keep one eye on where kids have to go, and for you it was grade level, it will inform your pacing. It inf- it creates the urgency. It does. If I if I have a whole plan for tomorrow that starts at eight thirty, and I got all these things to do in every hour, and I accidentally, you know, don't set my alarm, and I sleep till ten, I'm gonna have to recalibrate. Yeah. Right, because now I'm, I don't have eight thirty to four anymore. Yeah. I've got ten to four, so I've got to figure out what's most essential to get done between ten and four. But if I don't ever have plans for tomorrow or a place I want to be tomorrow, then for us as educators, what that looks like in schools is uh, we then decide where we think kids should go, and we use fancy terms like highest individual potential which yeah. sounds really good because it's polysyllabic but it's another form of complacency yeah yeah you know in your your book as well you talk about those four rules for ruthless equity and i'm just going to name them off and then i just want you to talk to any of them or all of them i know we don't have much time left we have like seven minutes that's why i said right. it needs to be a 10 session master class <laughs> but I appreciate uh, that. after this i have one more question about that that gifted section that you put me in because i yeah. then, that's one of my, you know, passions, you know that. Um, but chapter four, a commitment to courage over comfort. Chapter five, a commitment to dismantling ability groups. Chapter six, a commitment to start with the crown. And chapter seven, a commitment to momentum over mood rings. Man, oh man. So with our time left, see, now I'm calibrating. <laughs> it's okay. Talk about all of them. For as long as you can. So there's no there's no one that's more important than others. Yeah. And uh, talk to the crown. Talk to the crown because that's that's something that you've really hammered. But I want people to to talk about the to to listen to you. You know, really understand what that means. Yeah. If you can get to the other ones. Sure, 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 sure. So, again, the 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 essence of it was uh, a quote on the back of my alma mater, Morehouse College. I got the 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 book. Or I sent away for an application and there was a book and an app and on the back of it was a quote by Howard Thurman, Dr. Howard Thurman, and it said, above the head of her students, Morehouse holds a crown. She challenges her students to grow tall enough to wear. And it just impacted me. I don't even know why. I yeah. wasn't even sure what it meant, but 25 years later, it dawned on me, that's equity. That's what equity looks like in practice. Yeah. When you decide that we've got to get that kid to grade level or better. And I don't care where they're starting, but we got to get them to grade level or better. That's the crown, and we grow the students to it. Yeah. Um, 
for equity work, the crown is identifying essential learning outcomes and then making a commitment to ensuring kids learn them. We have no idea what we're capable of doing because we fall short of that, 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 that commitment to, to going for all means all. And I don't mean that in terms of effort yeah. or time we put in. It's a mindset. Yeah. There's a mindset to when you put your back to the wall and decide nobody's getting out of here without this. So if we and, do- and we're gonna have a life after work. Yeah, and so if, if we have that mindset, then we're gonna have to get rid of, as you say in rule number two, dismantling those ability groups. Yes, and what I'm super excited about with this chapter is, it's one thing to say, it, and admittedly, I've been saying it for years, but I didn't necessarily have an alternative. You're right. I, did, I didn't have a structured alternative because for me, I was just way too arrogant and cocky as a teacher. I wasn't the greatest teacher at anything, but I walked in with what I call indomitable spirit, which means that uh, nothing in no folder is going to tell me where kids can go. Yeah. Like, I don't wonder if I'm the difference. I am the difference. And if I don't have the answer, I'm going to go next door. I'm going I'm to reach out. I'm going to find Brian. It's just, and right. so it was nothing for me to have that kind of heterogeneous grouping. I never had like those sentenced ability groups. I'm not talking about meeting kids where they are with uh, like with common assessment data. Yeah. I'm talking about those sentence that- Oh, you, that you're, your life sentence. Yeah. Like, literally, yeah. literally. Yeah. You're, you're there. Yeah. So I've never had a solution for it until now. And I, I highlight the work that's happening at Green Hills School in Bristol, Connecticut. There's a math coach there, Georgina Rivera. Yeah. And she connected me with fifth grade teacher, Julia Darcy, man. And when they talked about Peter Liljadal's research around that, and he focuses on mathematics, right? but it's clear to me that it apply, it has application in every content area. Just the idea that kids join a group and not trying to figure out who's supposed to be the smart one, who's supposed to be the one that yeah. gathers the information, who's every day it's different. It, it, it eliminates social barriers. It just showcases the brilliance of all kids. And I'm looking at my watch like it means something, but in a week and a half, I am flying to Bristol and I'm gonna spend a day and a half at that school with wow. my camera, videotaping, interviewing awesome. students, teachers. It People is just amazing. What's that? People need to see it work. You, you listen, they, they, I, listen I, I know I can say things with conviction, yeah, but I knew in my gut that for something as um, as status quo disrupting as dismantling ability groups, yeah, teachers and students talking about it is going to be much more credible than me. So yeah. that's where we're going with that. And then the last thing is that the the courage over comfort. Yeah. Um, on the on the cover, of my awesome uh, cover designer Christy. You know, she has the the one light bulb. You know, these are all light bulbs, but this one's illuminating, right? It's, so it's got two things. One, when you disrupt the status quo, it's going to be lonely for a minute. Yeah. If you persist, you're going to get others to follow, yeah. right? So when you when the light bulb kind of, you know, levitates there, that's the courage over comfort. You got to kind of put yourself out there. Yeah. Everybody's been talking about behaviors and these low kids, and here you come, uh, challenging kids or uh, pr providing opportunities for accelerated learning to all these kids. You're going, you're going to be out there for a while. But one, you got to stick with it. 
You got to have courage over comfort. And then it's hard to see, but around the light bulb, you got the, whatever those things are called, you got to illuminate as well. Yeah. Right. I've, we've all known super fantastic teachers who kind of fly under the radar and it's like, got to share that. I need you to you share, share that. your practices. It's yeah. like, I need you to share it. We've got to put ourselves out there. Cause it, I promise you while, while you get the folks who throw you some shade, you know, teacher's pet or, you know, principal's yeah. pet or whatever. Yeah. There are always more teachers who are just like, damn, I'd like to try that too. Yeah. Oh God. I'm, I wonder if that could work at my class. And so you got to have that courage over comfort. And the more you learn to recognize complacency in its subtle forms, you know, victimhood, crabs in a barrel. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I have five levels of uh, bag draggers. Folks oh, you just yep. drag I love that. Bag. Yeah. You, you got to step up. You got to step up. Yeah. And, um, and that, of course, includes our leaders. And, you know, maybe eventually I'll write something for leaders. But uh, that's that courage over comfort. It's going to be lonely for a minute. Don't worry. It is definitely going to be lonely for me. I don't make any bones about that. When you go up against complacency, you know, as human beings, we want to go along to get along. We all do. But we, and at our core, we all do. But there are those moments. And if you open this book and read it, you're going to be, you're going to learn some things that you thought were okay. And no, it's have an obligation it, to, to step up and stand up. You know, and, and what it does is it gives you permission. It's like, yes. oh, somebody's saying that oh, everything that I, I wanted to do is I'm supposed to be doing and it's okay. And yeah, I can okay. use this as, as my, my armor. That's right. Right. You know, That's right. Hey, like um, before we, uh, before we close and this has been great, Ken, thanks so much. I really Thank you, appreciate it. Um, in the book, you talk about a high school teacher who is um, allowing all of her students Oof. to take advanced classes. Yes. Um, and it just, just segueing into, you know, what I talk about is making gifted education the floor for every single child. That's right. Um, you know, talk a little bit about that and why you think it's important. You know, I think it's important because every child should have a gifted experience. And it shouldn't be some certain kids. That's um, right. But you, you really do do a nice job of articulating why um, it's important and how. It's, it's just not like throwing kids in sink or swim. Right. Right? It is not. But off, too often, we go into it with that mindset. Yeah. It was no different than 25 years ago. We were talking about kids with special needs should actually be mainstreamed. And <laughs> we, yep. we do the same thing. And I was like, like we can like, we can at Bernie. So it's like, all right, we're going to prop the kid up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? Just talk at him. Yeah. And here was, here was the euphemism for that one. Exposure. That was the word. We're going to expose Brian. No, yeah. no, we're going to teach Brian. Yeah. So you... You got to have the right mindset, which always takes us back to the why of the work, the moral imperative. Why are we doing this? Yep. A lot of the work I do with schools starts with scratching the surface of your own core values. Yeah. Um, what I love about Anne's example and her testimony is that it wasn't easy. It just wasn't, just, you know, it wasn't Pollyanna. And I didn't leave anything out she said. She said, this shit's still rough. Yeah. Uh, he's still not handing in work. But she had breakthrough moments that, I mean, every one of us would count as yeah. milestone not he was quiet today so that's a win no yeah. this kid was engaged all those things listen i sometimes I, I try to get the attention of educators with this issue by asking the question how do you meet the needs of your ungifted kids yeah i, I love that i i, I totally, totally I mean, I we don't have them. ungifted kids we don't say ungifted I said, well you can call them anything you want if you don't they think know. kids they know don't think that 
and my and my point is i don't know all the origins of gifted education i know you know and you definitely shifted my thinking around asking the right question right it's not it's not expanding uh you know the gifted program to include more kids it's making gifted education of the floor of every classroom because i think to myself like my wife for it's her first year she's teaching gifted education right and she comes home and talks about and she she has like this uh, what is it called like cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. oh yeah and she yeah. she's an all means all mindset but she's in this thing anyway yeah. When she talks about the stuff she does, and I'm watching her in our kitchen to like plan this stuff, I think to myself, who wouldn't love that? Yeah, who, like, who, who why would you hold that from some kids, right? I want to write a four page book report on Harriet Tubman, right? Or, or Lady Bird Johnson, or be part of a wax museum, yeah, where people come and visit and I get to talk about it. The stuff they do, I think to myself, who would who would not want to do this? Yeah. And if we made it the floor of every classroom, everybody would find their way. Because sometimes I wonder if our kids who come to school a little more prepared, come from homes like yours and mine, with right, a so- lot of background knowledge, a lot of exposure. I do believe they're twisted in the wind sometimes. Like I, I remember when I was a kid, it was like, Brian, read with, read with Greg. Like turn around and read is not enrichment. All right. So let, think about this. Think about, you know, my school, we would do Socratic seminar. And that's supposed to be a gifted practice. Right. And so we would have our EL teacher at the table, our special ed teacher at the table, our special, our, our GT teacher at the table, our classroom teachers at the table. And so when we're planning Socratic seminar, we are scaffolding. And so we know that some of the, the, the academic vocabulary, some kids may not know. So we're going to pull them and front load that vocabulary. We may have some kids who have some behavior challenges that we're going to have to make sure that we teach them how to have some academic discourse. We as a collaborative team are scaffolding for every kid. Every kid is is engaged, right? And so if we can do, if in your book, I think it was Ron Edmonds, we, mm-hmm. we, it's 1970s and 80s. We knew more than to, to educate every child. Well, if we had the will. Basically. is of interest to us. That's yeah, right. every, yeah. Yeah, and you, so, you, you you did all that scaffolding with your behavior, kids too. No, it's amazing. It's, amazing. <laughs> it's all it's so much mindset, and yeah. I, you know I know you only showed a, a small clip of that video, but it's you know you can find it online, yeah. whatever. But it's that that video is called "Kids Are Gonna Make Your Dreams Come True." That's and that's the thing. That's that's the rub and the frustration and the challenge of our work is you are gonna find exactly what you look for. Yep. So there's someone listening to this tonight. I, I believe most of us are listening and we're going to be inspired to, you know, challenge, provoked. But there's some folks who are just like, but we just got, well, that sounds good, but he don't know our kids. Yeah. You're going to find exactly what you look for. Yeah. If you decide to dumb it down and they're dumb and they're bad and they're you know, low, low babies. Yeah. They're going to give you exactly what you're looking for. Yeah. The same way adults do, because that's what I do a lot of, like parallel adult world. Yeah. You know, you were walking to PD and feel like yeah. the person wasn't prepared or kind of talking down to you or, yeah. you know, and it was like, yeah, I, I felt that way. Yeah. Said, well, it, 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 did they get your best that day? Did they get the best version of you? And they're like, hell no, they didn't. <laughs> I ordered a lot of stuff off. I did my Christmas shopping in July. And, you know, that, that's why I, I find places like I don't give door prizes after lunch. It's like, if I want, I want nine to 12 to be so engaging and provocative that you want to come back from one to three. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't need to give away stuff. I'm just not doing it. Yeah. And 
again, you go back to that behaviors thing. Behavior is all about them. There's no onus on us. Have I had audiences that are tougher than others? Of course, and you have as well. Yeah. Of course we have, yeah. depending on the culture. Sometimes it's the room set up. Oh, but yeah. I don't get to go to lunchtime and then text you and say, you know what? I think I had a real low group of teachers here today. You know, I, I had a group one time where it was uh, a, an overview of the process and I had a group of coaches. It was August. It was football season, <laughs> football season. So the football coaches were all in one corner. Back. Right, yep. yes. And so I, I said, they're mine. And so I went, I started to talk about essentials and I said, football coaches, come up here. I said, when you pick students, when you pick football players, do they all have to block and block and tackle? Oh, yeah. I had them. I said, those are the essentials. Football coaches, when they can't block and tackle, and you you have already you have your team, what do you do? We give them extra time and support to teach them how to block and tackle. <laughs> you know? I do the same so, thing. I, I do the same thing. You know? So I do the same thing. I have 24 skills and competencies for a running back and ask coaches, we would love to get them all 24. But if they come to your camp and they can only walk out with five, yep. what are the five? And I don't care what the five are. They pick the five. And then the next slide is, what about poor, suppose they poor white kids? Do the five change? No. Poor black kids? No. Yep. Kids with no internet at home? No. Kids with no Chromebook? No. Kids with single parent household? No. Yeah. Uh, kids with hands that are almost like feet. They got no coordination? No. Yep. Kids that don't speak the King's English? No. They got to get it. No. No. Yep. Weak left hand dribble? Same thing more yeah. drills yeah might you put an assistant coach on them sometimes of course. yes that's equity yeah none of none of your essentials change because who the kid was and where they're coming from exactly. oh suppose they're from germany just off the plane and never spoken a word of english the five don't change google translate exactly exactly so I, that's how i've kind of pulled coaches back is i I, yeah. I start by saying coaches know equity better than anyone they just don't know they, they don't. know it yeah they just don't know they know it but that's what yeah. equity is yeah but you got to have that place where all kids have to go. As we go, you have um, in your book, and I think it's pretty cool, and you've been doing these all along. So I think it's just, it probably was easy for you just to, to put them in and to, to highlight them. But those streaming video clips oh, in your you, book, you know, talk about those, because I think that's really important when people need some, either an example or they need you to just kind of give them a little pep talk. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, those, uh, so I've been doing micro learning videos. That's like all my micro learning. They're all between 30 seconds and two minutes long for the past three years. I give a lot of credit to, to Scott, my video coach who right, compelled me to do them. And um, and they just fit right in with so much of uh, of the content. So it's it's a nice break to me. It just, uh, it gives the book a kind of a different format. Yeah. They mm -hmm. also make for great discussion points. I mean, I've, I've, you know, I've, for some districts, I put modules together on, you know, introduction to equity using these videos. And so I just thought it'd be a cool touch to, you know, you're reading and then all of a sudden you, you put your phone to it and yeah, I love it. you look up and you get a two minute video that you can stop and discuss. Because what I don't want is, um, you know, I, I receive when you say it's simple and I, that, that was my goal. Yeah. But I don't want it to be an easy read. You know what I mean? It's simple to understand. Yes, but, but I don't want it to be an easy it's, read. It's not easy. It's not an easy read. Like, like when I when I say simple, like I'll see something, I'm like, oh, I do oh, no, that. No, no. I know what you mean. Yeah. 
I just don't, I, I've just had a couple of folks who say, it's a nice, easy read. And then I've had people like Dr. Anissa Baker Busby. Do you know Anissa? Yeah. Oh, she's yeah. a monster. Anissa yeah. Monster. This is, this, she, is, this is not, when I say simple or eat. There you go. Right. She wrote a diatribe. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 a diatribe. And, and in there, she was just like, I, it just makes me stop and think yeah. and reflect and figure out what we're going to do next. Like, yeah. that's what I wanted to do. And I was hoping that the videos in there would just kind of just, just break up the format some and just give you another point for discussion. Yeah. Well, Ken, I, I do appreciate this. Um, this is ruthless equity everybody and and i'm being honest when i said after i read this i read a lot of education books you know transforming school culture and learning by doing and um are probably in in my top two books um and but this literally has jumped into my top 10 and those books are look just like this you know time time for change um taking action they all look like this. And I'm just, I, I will take this everywhere. I like, told my assistant when, when I said, Hey, just, 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 you know, here's the PDF. I know your hard copy hasn't arrived yet. Just check it out. And when you wrote back and said, you, you know, you had first couple of reactions, like, Oh my God, I reached out to her and I said, wait till you see what he does with this book. <laughs> said, Brian reads everything. And when, and when it hits him, yeah, he it's, vandalizes books. He yeah, is going to destroy the book. And yeah. it's going to be the best. And she was like, oh, my God, I can't wait to see it. I sent her a picture. She cracked up. <laughs> <laughs> so I appreciate it, brother. It means a lot that that you, that, you know, they're, they're just a handful, you know, they're a handful of folks in my circle, man. I mean, just the fact that Anthony um, agreed to write the forward. I mean, I, I, I think I've read three forwards in my life. But yeah, I tell it, people it, all the time, read the forward. Yeah. It, it's that a, forward made me pull the book out of production and go through yeah. it one more time. I was like, that the book has got to meet that forward. I mean, yeah. so I'm honored and Mike, you know, wrote an endorsement for it. Yeah. I'm here on your podcast, man. And you you did yeah. the same. I, I just appreciate you guys. Yeah. Well, thanks so much again for coming on. And this book's gonna do a lot of good, not just you know around the, the country, but around the world. Thank you, brother. We're gonna get the book out there. And again, congratulations. It was number one new book coming out on Amazon, right? Yes, in several that, areas. That is, leadership, professional yeah, development. Is, yeah. All right, my friend. Uh take it easy and uh we'll talk to you soon. All right, brother. Thanks.